Shabbat Shalom and welcome to another episode of A Christian Voice. Today we're going to discuss the American Community Survey. Is it lawful? And why or why not? Now, oh yay, lucky me, my household has been randomly selected to complete this very important national survey. On the front of the envelope, it says in bold caps, your response is required by law. Is that a true statement? Or is it just a bullying tactic? In the description you will notice two links. One is truthandtreason.net from which I'm going to read to you a very, very good response to this survey. And the other is from the Census Bureau itself. I would recommend downloading this right now while it's still there. Probably both of them. Which explains their agenda. What they're doing with it. It's not random. It's stated in their own PDF. Again, you have that link that it's ongoing and their goal is to continually, in batches, monitor all American households. It discussed the former use of it being voluntary and how, surprise, surprise, free-spirited Americans don't want to give away their information, which you have no right to be collecting. So, it explains why they've moved to a mandatory system. Again, is that lawful just because the federal government decided to do it? Or one branch of the federal government, which itself may or may not be constitutional. Now, they'll warn you in their propaganda that these are from amendments. They quote Title 13 and Title 18 and try and scare you with a $5,000 penalty. You will have to make your own decision on this. I don't choose to be monitored and tracked. I'm not a criminal. I'm not. I'm not a felon. I have not given away my constitutional rights. And I don't intend to do so. And I don't intend to be made a felon because I refuse to participate in something unlawful. You see how it all fits together? There's not going to be any lawful citizen anymore. We need to fight back while we still can. Okay. Enough chatter. Truthandtreason.net. This is written in 2010, but again, it still applies. How to legally refuse to participate in the census survey. This is from Kevin Hayden. Again, truthandtreason.net, and both links provided for you. He includes a note. Quote, I know this is a lengthy post, but it is incredibly educational. If nothing else, Please scroll down towards the bottom and read the last several paragraphs that detail my plan of attack. To all IRS or DHS listening, that means nonviolent response. When my census form arrives, print it out and use it as a template for yourself. End quote. I myself, of course, modified it, and I found in the comment section there were some very useful responses as well, so you may wish to take those as a basis if you like. Of course, you're going to want to do your own research and make sure that what they're claiming is true. So I used some of that information as a template for myself. We'll see how far I get in it. One respondent says, he got nowhere. But again, make your own decisions. I do encourage you, though, not to just roll over and play dead. Unless you actually like this America, if you really actually like oppression and you want to see our country fail, fill it out. At the same time, buy yourself a one-way ticket somewhere else, anywhere else. Stay there. Don't come back. All right. Back to the page. Quote, I recently heard someone say 
the time has come for some civil disobedience, and the intrusive nature of the census makes it the perfect place to start. I could not agree more. The American people need to draw a line in the sand and tell the reprobates in the federal government we will no longer tolerate their usurpations of power. If the American people are going to make a stand and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the federal government, then they need a basic understanding of some constitutional principles, because these principles are universal and pertain to every power exercised by the federal government. Constitutional principles number one. The Constitution established a separation of power between the states and their federal government. James Madison explained this principle in Federalist Essay number 45. The powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite. The former will be exercised principally on external objects, as war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce, with which last the power of taxation will, for the most part, be connected. The powers reserved to the several states will extend to all the objects in the ordinary course of affairs concern the lives, liberties, and properties of the people, and the internal order, improvement, and prosperity of the state. My note here, not of the federal government, of the state. Quote, the operations of the federal government will be most extensive and important in times of war and danger, those of the state governments in times of peace and security. Again, that was James Madison. In the New York State Convention, debating ratification of the proposed Constitution in 1788, John Jay, who was one of the authors of the Federalist Essays, and would later become a Justice of the United States Supreme Court, expressed this principle as follows, quote, What are the objects of our state legislatures? Innumerable things of small moment occupy their attention, matters of a private nature, which require much minute and local information. The objects of the general government are not of this nature. They comprehend the interest of the states in relation to each other and in relation to foreign nations." Thomas Jefferson discussed this principle in various writings throughout his political career. In 1816 he wrote the following, The way to have good and safe government is not to trust it all to one, but to divide it. Let the national government be entrusted with the defense of the nation and its foreign and federal relations. The state governments with the civil rights, laws, police, and administration of what concerns the state generally. The best key for the solution of questions of power between our governments is the fact that every foreign and federal power is given to the federal government and to the states every power purely domestic. The federal is, in truth, our foreign government." End quote. The federal government was empowered to deal with foreign affairs and relations between the states, while the states would concern themselves with domestic affairs. The powers of the federal government are commonly known as delegated powers, because when that government was established, the states delegated, not surrendered, a portion of their sovereign powers to the federal government. The powers not delegated to the federal government are known as reserved powers. Principle number two. The Constitution established a federal government of limited, enumerated powers. Under this system of government, 
every power not granted to the federal government and enumerated in the Constitution is denied. This principle is the foundation of the Constitution and exists independent of the Tenth Amendment. That amendment is merely a secondary level of restraint on the powers of the federal government. In Federalist Essay Number 14, James Madison wrote that adoption of the proposed Constitution would not grant the federal government general legislative authority throughout the United States. Quote, it is to be remembered that the general government is not to be charged with the whole power of making and administering laws. Its jurisdiction is limited to certain enumerated objects." End quote. Alexander Hamilton addressed the principle of limited government in Federalist Essay Number 83. Quote, the plan of the convention declares that the power of Congress shall extend to certain enumerated cases. This specification of particulars evidently excludes all pretension to a general legislative authority because an affirmative grant of special powers would be absurd as well as useless if a general authority was intended." End quote. The federal government only exists within the sphere of its delegated powers and is constitutionally powerless to act absent a specific grant of power. It should be noted that there are no implied powers beyond the delegated powers. For example, Congress has been granted the power to establish post offices. Therefore, Congress can pass any law necessary to the establishment and maintenance of post offices. This would include such incidental powers as printing stamps, affixing their value, appropriating money for postal trucks, etc. End quote for the moment. Um, not in agreement with him on the post office entirely. But I suppose it's neither here nor there right now. <laughs> That's his example. That is not this show's example. Moving on. Quote, members of Congress constantly attempt to reverse this principle. I have lost count of the number of times I have watched one of these clowns hold up a copy of the Constitution and claim their powers are unlimited. Except in those instances where the Constitution places a restriction on their power. These individuals are either corrupt, incompetent, or both. End quote. My note again, I think in almost all cases, they know exactly what they're doing. They're just counting on you not knowing better. Quote, principle number three. Constitutionally, the federal government cannot use its delegated powers to encroach on the powers reserved to the states. In other words, the federal government cannot convert its federal and foreign powers into domestic powers to do things not entrusted to that government, i.e. use principle number two to circumvent principle number one. Constitutional provisions for the census. The provision for the census is found in Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 of the Constitution. It is confined to determining the number of representatives in the House and imposing direct taxes among the several states. Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states, which may be included within this union, according to their respective number. The actual enumeration shall be made within three years after the first meeting of the Congress of the United States, and within every subsequent term of ten years, in such manner as they shall by law direct." End quote. In such manner as they 
shall by law direct. That is the key phrase there, and I would like you to ponder that while I'm speaking. Back to the paper. Quote, the reader will note the power to make laws concerning the census is restricted to the actual enumeration. If you don't know what that means, it means a count. It's a head count. It's not a specific by name, by family count. It's a general head count. It's a number, enumeration to number. I'm counting you, one, two, three, four, five. I'm not counting you, John Smith, Joe Smith, Mary Smith wife, just a count. Quote, in the case of direct taxes, a direct tax is a tax on property based on ownership. This provision requires Congress to apportion the tax among the individual states based on population. For example, let's say in 1790, two years after the ratification of the Constitution, Congress prepared a budget and decided to impose a direct tax to raise the needed revenue. Based on the census, Virginia had 30% of the population of the United States. Under the rule of apportionment, Virginia would have been responsible for 30% of the tax. The, the states collect the tax and turn the money over to the federal government. Direct taxes are inherently unfair because one state with 10% of the population might be one of the richest states, while another state with the same percentage of the population might be one of the poorest. Yet, under the direct tax formula imposed by the Constitution, both states would be required to pay the same amount. The founders feared the use of direct taxes, so they created a system to discourage their use. Since direct taxes must be apportioned based on population, an enumeration is needed to determine the percentage of tax for each state. The federal government distorts the purpose of the census. On their webpage, the Census Bureau explains the purpose of the census as follows. The U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 2, mandates a headcount of everyone residing in the United States. The population totals determine each state's congressional representation. The numbers also affect funding in your community and help inform decision makers about how your community is changing. The reader will note that the federal government's statement of purpose does not comport with the Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 of the Constitution. Since decisions about our communities are not within the class of powers granted to the federal government, see Constitutional Principle Number 1, the reader will not find a reference to it in the limited powers granted to the federal government, see Constitutional Principle Number 2. No more census long forms. On their webpage, the Census Bureau states the long form used in the past has been replaced with a new short form. In the past, most households received a short-form questionnaire, while one household in six received a long-form that contained additional questions and provided more detailed socio-economic information about the population. The 2010 census will be a short-form only census and will count all residents living in the United States, as well as ask for name, sex, age, date of birth, race, ethnicity, relationship, and housing tenure, taking just minutes to complete. The more detailed socioeconomic information is now collected through the American Community Survey. The survey provides current data about your community every year, rather than once every 10 years. It is sent to a small percentage of the population on a rotating basis throughout the decade. No household will receive the survey more often than once every five years. The reader will note that the additional information requested on the 2010 form will have absolutely nothing to do with apportioning direct taxes, 
or determining the number of representatives in the House of Representatives. The American Community Survey. As stated above, the Census Bureau will be using the American Community Survey to extract personal data that it previously received on the old long form. Once again, this information will have absolutely nothing to do with apportioning direct taxes or determining the number of representatives in the House. Authority for the Census and the American Community Survey. On their website, the Census Bureau claims the American people are required by law to provide the information requested on either form, and our response is mandatory. For the Census, they cite the provision of the Constitution referenced above as their authority to request the information. For the American Community Survey, they cite Title 13, United States Code, Sections 141 and 193 as their authority to request the information. Section 141D states, in part, The Secretary, in the year 1985, and every ten years thereafter, shall conduct a mid-decade census of population in such form and content as he may determine. Section 141E2 states, Information obtained in any mid-decade census shall not be used for apportionment of representatives in Congress among the several states, nor shall such information be used in prescribing congressional districts. Section 141G. As used in this section, census of population means a census of population, housing, and matters relating to population and housing. Section 193 states, In advance of, in conjunction with, or after, the taking of each census provided for by this chapter, the Secretary may make surveys and collect such preliminary and supplementary statistics related to the main topic of the census as are necessary to the initiation, taking, or completion thereof. The first thing the reader should note is the difference between the statement of authority for the two surveys. The census falls under the Constitution while the American Community Survey is merely based on a statute passed by Congress. The second thing the reader should note concerning Section 141 is the reference to a mid-decade census of population. There is no constitutional authority for mid-decade census. See again Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 of the Constitution. The third thing the reader should note concerning Section 141 is the statement that the information obtained from the mid-decade census cannot be used for the constitutional purpose of the actual census. The fourth thing the reader should note concerning Section 141 is the statement that the mid-decade census is being used for housing and matters relating to population and housing. Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 does not contain a grant of power concerning these subjects. This takes us to the other section cited as the authority for the American Community Survey. Section 193 restricts census surveys and the collection of preliminary and supplementary statistics to the main topic of the census, necessary to the initiation, taking, or completion thereof. Constitutionally, the only topic of a sentence is a headcount for apportioning direct taxes or determining the number of representatives in the House. Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 does not contain a grant of power for any other census. The other ones referenced in Section 193 fail to meet the constitutional topic of the only census enumerated in the Constitution. 
note, see again the first two constitutional principles discussed at the beginning of this article, and then apply them to the American Community Survey. Penalty provisions for failure to comply with either survey request. On their website, the Census Bureau states the penalty provision for failing to comply with either survey request is found in Title 13, U.S. Code, Section 221, pursuant to this section, refusing to provide the requested information or neglecting to complete either survey subjects you to a fine of not more than $100. Willfully giving information that is false subjects you to a fine of not more than $500. Then, in what I believe is a blatant attempt to misrepresent federal law and install fear in the hearts and minds of the American people so they will provide the requested information, the Census Bureau included the following statement after their reference to the Section 221 penalties referenced above. Title 18 U.S.C. Section 3571 and Section 3559, in effect, amends Title 13 U.S.C. Section 221 by changing the fine for anyone over 18 years old who refuses or willfully neglects to complete the questionnaire or answer questions posed by census takers from a fine of not more than $100 to not more than $5,000. A review of Title 18 shows it is entitled Crimes and Criminal Procedure. Section 3559 is entitled Sentencing Classification of Offenses. Section A states Classification, an offense that is not specifically classified by a letter grade in the section defining it, is classified if the maximum term of imprisonment authorized is nine, five days or less, or if no imprisonment is authorized as an infraction. Section 3571 is entitled, Sentence of Fine. Section A states, A defendant who has been found guilty of an offense may be sentenced to pay a fine. Section B states, in part, An individual who has been found guilty of an offense may be fined not more than the greatest of, 7, for an infraction not more than $5,000. This is the only reference to a fine in the amount cited by the Census Bureau that matches the provision in Section 3559 above. The $5,000 fine referenced in Section 3571 is a post-conviction fine that only applies to an individual who has been charged and convicted of a criminal infraction, as defined in Section 3559, unless an individual has been charged and convicted of some criminal offense connected to the Census and their crime is classified as an infraction. This $5,000 fine does not apply. Thus, their assertion that these sections change the fines in Section 221 to $5,000 is you fill in the blank. In my mind, it's a blatant lie that borders on fraud. My rules and plan of attack. Here are three basic rules I follow when I receive requests for personal information on the census and or American community forms. One, I never destroy or deface the forms. Two, I never put false information on the forms. Three, I never partially complete the forms. If I am going to make the assertion that the requested information does not apply to me, or the requested information exceeds the government's constitutional authority to request the information, I return the form with a cover letter explaining why. Here is my plan of attack for the Census and American Community Survey forms. When I receive the 2010 Census form, I will return it with a cover letter. In the letter, I will give them the number of people residing in the house and state that Pursuant to Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 of the Constitution, 
That is the only information they are empowered to request. Again, number of people residing in the house. My name, sex, age, date of birth, race, ethnicity, telephone number, relationship, and housing tenure have absolutely nothing to do with apportioning direct taxes or determining the number of representatives in the House. Therefore, neither Congress nor the Census Bureau has the constitutional authority to make that information request a component of the enumeration outlined in Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3. In addition, I cannot be subject to a fine for basing my conduct on the Constitution because that document trumps laws passed by Congress. Period. End of story. When I receive the American Community Survey form, I will return it with a cover letter. The letter will simply state that, since the Constitution established a federal government of limited enumerated powers, and that document does not grant them the general power to request the information, I am under no constitutional obligation to provide it. If they attempt to distort the law and threaten me with a bogus $5,000 fine, as discussed and exposed above, I will send a letter to the Justice Department and request prosecution of the individuals making the threat. The coup de grace to their unconstitutional information requests. Even though I do not like to cite court cases, I will attach this one to my letter, or hold it in reserve to support my refusal to comply with their bogus requests, because it usually ends the discussion and any threat of a fine. Neither branch of the Legislative Department, House of Representatives or Senate, still less any merely administrative body, insert Census Bureau, established by Congress, possesses, or can be invested with, a general power of making inquiry into the private affairs of a citizen. Kilbourne v. Thompson, 103 U.S. 168-190. We said in Boyd v. U.S. 116, U.S. 616-630, oh, 6 Supreme Court 524, and it cannot be too often repeated, that the principles that embody the essence of constitutional liberty and security forbid all invasions on the part of government and its employees of the sanctity of a man's home and the privacies of his life. As said by Mr. Justice Field and Ray Pacific Road Commission, 32, Fed 241-250, of all the rights of the citizen, fewer of greater importance or more essential to his peace and happiness than the right of personal security. And that involves not merely protection of his person from assault, but exemption of his private affairs, books, and papers from inspection and scrutiny of others. Without the enjoyment of this right, all others would lose half their value. Interstate Commerce Commission versus Brimson, 154 U.S. 447479 of May 26, 1894. That's how far back this goes, 1894. Note, this United States Supreme Court case has never been overturned. If the federal government had been granted the general power to make inquiries into the private affairs of the American people through the census or a congressional mandated survey, then the Supreme Court could not have made this statement. Now, we know the federal government was not granted the constitutional authority to make general inquiries into our private affairs under the umbrella of the census or a survey. I hope the American people will consider engaging in some civil disobedience and refuse to comply with these unconstitutional requests. Here is the easy, pre-written template letter that I encourage you to copy, print, and mail with your census form, or in my case, American Community Survey. To whom it may concern, pursuant to Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 of the Constitution, 
The only information you are empowered to request is the total number of occupants at this address. My name, sex, age, date of birth, race, ethnicity, telephone number, relationship, and housing tenure have absolutely nothing to do with apportioning direct taxes or determining the number of representatives in the House. Therefore, neither Congress nor the Census Bureau have the constitutional authority to make that information request a component of the enumeration outlined in Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3. In addition, I cannot be subject to a fine for basing my conduct on the Constitution because that document trumps laws passed by Congress." End quote. So here he inserts again the reference case we already read and ends with, quote, Note, this United States Supreme Court case has never been overturned. Respectfully, a citizen of the United States of America. And then he ends with the link of the Census Bureau information. I encourage you to get on this site, truthistreason.net, and you can look up how to legally refuse to participate in the census survey. Thank you for the information, sir. That was most valuable. I would like to read some of the information that came with my American Community Survey, just to put it more in context. He's absolutely right about the threat of the fine. I'm just going to read you the letter. A message from the director, U.S. Census Bureau. Your household has been randomly selected to complete a very important national survey, the American Community Survey. The U.S. Census Bureau conducts this survey to give our country an up-to-date picture of how we live, our education, employment, housing, and more. Using the enclosed instructions, please complete the survey online as soon as possible at URL. The Census Bureau is using the internet to collect this information in an effort to conserve natural resources, save taxpayers money, and process your data more efficiently. If you are unable to complete the survey online, there is no need to contact us. We will send you a paper questionnaire in a few weeks. This survey collects critical information used to meet the needs of communities across the United States. For example, results from the survey are used to decide where new schools, hospitals, and fire stations are needed. This information also helps communities plan for the kind of emergency situations that might affect you and your neighbors, such as floods and other natural disasters. The Census Bureau chose your address, not you personally, as part of a randomly selected sample. You are required by U.S. law to respond to the survey. The Census Bureau is required by U.S. law to keep your answers confidential. The enclosed brochures answer frequently asked questions about the survey. If you need help completing the survey, please call blah blah blah. Thank you, and sincerely, John H. Thompson, Director, U.S. Census Bureau, who needs replaced. So, once again, even on their cover letter, they're stating the reasons for the American Community Survey have nothing to do with the powers granted them. Ah, uh, yes, and then the propaganda pieces. One, frequently asked questions, American Community Survey, and two, important information from the U.S. Census Bureau. I will not bore you with everything. We've already discussed their claim about the benefits. So, do I have to answer the questions on the American Community Survey? Answer. Yes, your response to this survey is required by law, Title 13, U.S. Code Sections 141193 and 221. Title 13, as changed by Title 18, imposes a penalty for not responding. We estimate the survey will take about 40 minutes to complete. 
Right. As stated before, wonderful article on that website claiming the Title 18 changed to the Title 13. Now the important information from the Census Bureau. Again, mostly the same non-information in several languages. Yeah. So, if you don't feel bullied yet, I'm sure you will once you receive yours. I'm keeping the enclosures. They're not getting them back. And I'm keeping the letter because I'm OCD and I've got it to use against them. I know, shame on me. And yet, I think that my freedom and your freedom is worth fighting for. I think it's worth us keeping fighting. Fight, 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 and fight some more. Do it peacefully. Do it lawfully. I think a written response is an excellent way to fight back. Well, thank you for listening to my rant today. I know she made a show without talking about Christ. Isn't that crazy? Well, no, you didn't get off that easy. <laughs> because again, I have to come back to what is this all leading to? Really, they they really care in the government. I mean, they're so concerned with having an accurate picture of our country to what? Make snapshots of it and frame them on their wall? Why do you really think they want all of this personal information about us? Why are they trying and governments worldwide are doing this. But we'll focus on ours right now. Why are they trying to get every last little bit of information? I read you the letter at states that are asking about your job now as well. It's not bad enough they get that when we pay taxes. They want every last little tiny shred of information on you. What for? As they say. To keep it. To record it. It's an ongoing basis at least once every five years on top of the regular census. They're asking for your personal information. Why do they need all this information on everybody? Is it not because of what the Bible predicts? A one world system where every single human on this planet will be required to be in a registry and take a mark to buy and to sell. Yep, it really all does come back to the Holy Bible. It really all does come back to God. It all comes back to scripture. Being American is not going to exempt us. But I'm not going to hand it to them on a silver platter. Okay. They're going to have to fight to do that to me. I'm going to give the Antichrist and the Beast as great a fight as I can. In a peaceful manner. <laughs> in a godly manner. Hey, if I was here when they were around, I'd even try to win them to Christ. Even knowing that's not going to happen. Because the Bible says otherwise. So if you're here at that time, do it. Try and convert them. I don't know if I'll be raptured out before then or not. We've talked about that on another show. And I probably will again. In the meantime, if you are not saved, you got to do it now. Because when this is all in place, when the Antichrist and the false prophet step up with this one world unity, this one world system, they're not going to do it until everything is in place. Let's not help them get it in place. But eventually, it will be in place. Because the Bible's never been wrong before. And it's never going to be wrong. These are God's words. He has spoken. He has warned us. So please heed that warning. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask forgiveness of your sins. He is the sacrificial atonement for you. He is willing to forgive you. He's willing to take you with him. He's willing to protect you. He's willing to stand by you and stand with you. Doesn't mean we won't have to go through hard things. We already are. But let's make sure we're on the right side when we go through them. 
Let's make sure that we're on the side of divine protection. That's just my personal opinion. All right. Thanks for listening. And fight! Copyright 2016, A Christian.